Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Tent Talks. I'm here with fan favorite, <laughs> Rachel Swan. And reigning champion. <laughs> the last time she was on, we talked about friendships and women having communities. Yes. And how that changed during lockdown and the pandemic. Yeah. And today we're going to talk about a subject that we're navigating. So we're just going to take you on our navigation journey, but it's receptivity and learning to receive and how that kind of intersects with gender roles and what's valued in the society and what feels oppressed and like how to navigate that as a woman in the modern world. And also some of the hangups or the hiccups that were coming through with gendered language, specifically, you hear a lot of like masculine energy or feminine energy. It comes up a lot in the dating world, which is probably what I will talk a little bit about. And also like in domestic partnerships and how we're watching that break down and affecting the marriages and partnerships of our friends and how we hope to navigate that going forward. Yeah. And just a little background with body work. So when I was going to massage school, it was very drilled into my education about opposing energies in the body. And we were always gendering it because essentially the right side of your brain controls the left body and the opposite is true. And so like if something is manifesting on your left side of your body, it's controlled by the right brain. And that would be feminine energy. But what it really looks like in the body is like abstract present moment creativity. And so then if something is presenting on the right side of the body, it's controlled by left brain. And that's more of like your practical, your details, your in and out. And it became this like brain function, but it was so gendered and so embodied. And it was kind of hard to make that shift of not using total genders or using the gendered terms, because it's these energies that work in our brain, everybody has them. And I think what we're coming up against is the world is rewarding a really active overproduction kind of energy. And there's this whole other side of us that is doing emotional labor and reciprocity work and healing work. And that's kind of getting ignored. And so a lot of people don't like to engage in right brain activities because they're not being rewarded by our environment. Well, I also think that it comes down to the work that we value. And you said this earlier where you were talking about how this more like activated kind of like, I think of it as like using your will to make something happen. Mm -hmm. And so I think of what people would typically call like that masculine work. And especially when it comes to masculine energy and the value that we place on the work that men typically traditionally have done versus the work that women do, which is usually 
invisible and unpaid. Mm -hmm. And the work that men do typically is very visual. And something that I came up against a lot, especially when my kids were younger, and my husband was working this idea of being like, you know that you're doing a good job just by the fact that you get a paycheck every other week, or you get promotions, or you don't even have to receive praise necessarily. But the fact that you are employed still week after week after week, or you're put on teams that are, you know, you're either leading teams or part of teams, where the work that I did as like a young mom, which I always had other jobs, whether that was like as a yoga teacher or graphic design or editing, like I worked the entire time I was raising kids, it just was very different and like contract work. But the bulk of the work that I did was completely invisible. The only time people noticed is when it wasn't done. And it was unpaid. Mm -hmm. And I remember my former mother-in-law saying things like, oh, no, like your husband's money is also your money. This is, you know, this is something because you're supporting him in his career and you're staying home and making everything work, then that money is your money. But there's a problem when it never actually feels like yours. Well, because money represents more, right? It's power dynamics. And it's also... Like you were saying, this self-efficacy that happens when you show up as a team or a partner, get promoted, or there's these parts of yourself that are outputty and getting recognition all the time. And then you've got the woman doing all the background work. Like the laundry just doesn't get folded and put in drawers magically by fairies. And the kids... Like even having a dog like Jelly, you know, the love of my life, who I also resent half of the time because I have to feed her. Your flesh and blood. (laughs) My flesh and blood. My life force energy. No, I, the demands of just a dog on, on my lifestyle and my being, it is hard to do. It's hard to show up in the consistency. And I just think all the time, like, this is hard work. And there's not a lot that gives back in these kinds of relationships when you're feeling overwhelmed already. Like if you're feeling overwhelmed, you just add like something that you have to do consistently for somebody outside of yourself, it becomes very challenging. And I also think the difference here that we could make is the difference between mind work, like intellect versus body work, because anybody can fold laundry. Anybody can learn to make dinner. Anyone can hold a baby. Like this doesn't have to be gendered, but the fact that that work is solidly placed primarily on women or like female presenting bodies or even in dualities of partnerships, someone has to deal with this shit. Mm -hmm. Someone has to be the one that keeps things moving in this invisible sphere. And I mean, people talk a lot about standard basic income. So everybody would be given a certain amount of money. And I do think like it isn't just about money, but to a degree, it is like that's how we show value, especially in a capitalist society. So basically, we're saying, like, all of this work that people are doing to keep things moving to keep, you know, like children birthed and fed and 
clothed and, you know, going to school. Like I come up against this even on like early out days when my kids have school. Like someone has to be there at 1 p.m. to pick these kids up. And we don't have any sort of infrastructure that supports families in a meaningful way. We don't have childcare. I think it was during the pandemic where everybody got those stimulus checks. checks, And it was the first, like, it brought 3 million children out of poverty for the first time. Wow. And I just think when we invest in women, or we invest in families, we invest in children. And I think, in my experience, it has been the women who do that work. And even in divorced families, like one thing that I'm coming up against is I now have to do both. Mm -hmm. where there are certain things that I feel that men in these traditional relationships can choose not to do. They can choose not to do the emotional work. They can choose not to make dinner. They can choose not to pack lunches. And I have those choices too. Like if I don't make dinner one night a week when I have my kids, people are complaining. and They're complaining loud. Yeah, they're complaining really loud that I drop – because – But it's okay for dad to make a frozen pizza every single meal or not to do anything and just have it like everybody just grab chips or whatever. Yeah. Or he doesn't have to like really know physical cues of how the kids are doing where that's like written in my body. Like a kid Mm -hmm. can walk in the door and I can immediately know something's a little bit off and I can hold that space. But even the kids are adjusting to the fact that one parent's doing this and the other one's not. And you can kind of have these conversations, but kids learn that because they show the signs. And if the signs aren't read and reciprocated, because it's adults jobs to do this kind of work, but only half of the adults are doing it. Yeah. So, and it's very clear, like I've been working on disappointing people in my life (laughs) And Good for you. it kind of started, I read this article, I really wish I would have looked it up, but it's this woman who decides not to host Thanksgiving. And she always hosts Thanksgiving. And this one year, she was like, I'm not doing it. It's too much fucking work. And like, all of her children were adults. Everyone who was coming to this Thanksgiving dinner were adults. And they threw the biggest fit. I remember she, this. Yeah, yeah. that she yeah. wasn't hosting it. And she like ran away to like a bed and breakfast or something. Yeah. And it's one day, but it's this expectation of this is what family means. This is what tradition means. This is what home means. And it's up to one, one woman person yeah. to hold it together. To do all the cooking. All For like the, 20 yeah. adults. And it's not just the cooking. It's the preparatory. Because some people will say, well, my husband cooks the turkey or whatever. But it's the it's the month-long thinking and inviting. And even if it's like... Washing the dishes, dishes prepping yeah, laying the house. things out, making sure... All of that work that brings like peace and calm and this feeling of safety and belonging. I mean, that's what tradition is. And women are like the gatekeepers of that. Or, you know, people who that is what they love and that is where they feel like even their skill set is. They're expected to do it always without exception. And no one is there to pick up the slack. No one is there to say, oh, yeah, you're right. Maybe in 20 years you deserve to do whatever the fuck you want on this specific holiday. Or why don't we all get together and do it anyway? 
just because like mom's gone or aunt whatever is gone. Like we can still gather if it's important to us and we can figure it out. But it is this like, it feels like this linchpin, like, and we have those women or those people in our lives everywhere who are tasked with this like enormous burden of care when it's just them. And when we don't have this balance of like people meeting us or people valuing, like they only value it when When it's it's gone. gone. Mm -hmm. And yesterday you read me this Instagram. This is what kind of triggered this conversation. It was, it was this woman saying like, if there is another woman in your life that often does emotional work for you, that you feel comfortable around, whose home you feel safe in, like give them money. Imagine the relief that they would feel if you covered their rent that month or bought their groceries. Because these people are doing so much work for the entire collective, and it's not getting recognized. So they're doing that work. And then they're doing this capitalist piece where you have to go out and do and earn. And it's like something's got to give because our bodies can't handle that pressure. We cannot be tasked with doing these dual things at full force all the time. When especially like if you have different organs, your body is meant to do different things. There is different hormonal production for women than there is for men. And it just so happens that we built the entire capitalistic system based on men's organs and the hormones that their body puts out because basically they have a dick. And women, on the other hand, are on this other completely different hormonal cycle But to show up in the world, have value, pay our rent, live, we have to operate in both energies. And there are so many women that are saying, we can't, we don't know how to do this. And if we drop the ball in one area, like not showing up for Thanksgiving or not being able to pick up the kids and take off time from work early, one day a week, like, you know, we're always the ones that have to give, but it's like, we can't give anymore. We don't know how it's time for the women to start receiving or, or not just the women, but these people that are doing all the invisible work. It's time that we start receiving. And how do we receive if our work isn't being valued and somebody's not giving that to us? That's this conundrum that we're in. Yeah. And what I feel more than anything is just exhaustion. And Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's like a collective thing that we're all feeling, like the fact that we haven't had space to grieve what happened during the pandemic. Like, I know I keep talking about it, and it's like such a bummer. But I just feel like we have not acknowledged what happened to us collectively. We haven't Mm -mm. mourned for those who have died in a meaningful way. And we've completely forgot, like, chosen whether consciously or not, like, I do believe that there comes a point where the human psyche cannot be in panic mode. Like we can't sustain that level of stress for years on end. Mm -hmm. And so I do think a large part of it is unconscious. Like we're just like, we literally can't, our bodies cannot sustain this level of trauma and panic for three straight years. And so that isn't a way of like blaming. It's just that there still is so much work that needs to be done. Like I still feel it in my body when I think about trying to homeschool three kids who are miserable and cut off from their friends and family at a time. Like they were like 13 and 11 and seven. They were, you know, like these key ages where they're learning really important things about like individuation and, 
what it means to be part of a classroom, what it means to be part, you know, it, all of those stages. It was, I mean, it was hard for everybody across the board, but I just remember what it felt like to do a Zoom meeting for work and then like my youngest can't figure out her Zoom and I'm just like running from bedroom to bedroom to bedroom for hours every day and they're crying and they're angry and they're upset and they're afraid and I'm upset and I'm afraid and I have no skills. Like I have no idea how to deal with this. And at um, the same time, working full time and working full time. And I was also going to school at that time. And I was so exhausted. And especially after a Trump presidency, like it just felt like one thing after another, this like attack on women and their work and their value. And I would just go to bed every night, completely shut down. And now to no longer be married and to like feel that like deep exhaustion in my body already. And then to have to take on this like masculine role or this work that my former husband did that now I have to do. So I've been working on receiving in therapy for a whole year and it still feels so foreign to me. I don't know how to ask. I come from like a long line of people who just like willed things into being. Maybe it's like my immigrant heritage. Maybe it's my Mormon heritage. Maybe it's like a very toxic and self-destructive amalgamation of both, probably. But like my mom can will anything into success. Like I have watched her do it. The price of that is she's very cut off from herself and from her children. And her relationships, she has had to be so preoccupied with this, what we would call like masculine energy of producing and making money and supporting a family. So I feel like I've watched that happen and I feel it in my body and I feel like I cannot let a single goddamn ball drop because it's on my shoulders. And I felt that way in my marriage, but it's even like the small logistical things that my former husband took care of, like taking out the garbage, handling the taxes, yard work, house maintenance. Now, I have to remember all of those things. And I can't drop the ball on that in the same way that, say, he can just decide not to make dinner. Or that he could just decide not to be on the sign-up list for school. Yeah. School. Like, all the emails are still coming to me. Like, what yeah. would that – I she brought that up because I, like, read this tweet. It was probably from a few weeks ago where this woman said, I don't sign up for school things unless I see one dad's name on the list. I have never one time seen a dad at any field trip. I have never seen him. Never one time. There's not, like, classroom dads. Like, there are classroom moms. Yep. Those dads aren't helping with – Obviously, this is different in like, you know, queer relationships and families. But from everything that I have seen, dads aren't dropping off the birthday treats and handing them out. And buying them or making them and doing all the prep ahead of time. In the middle of the school day when mm -hmm. they're typically working. Like, I, there's nothing that I'm more sick of than men's jobs on a pedestal. There's nothing that like makes me more angry. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and that might be like a personal bias for sure. But it's like, 
my time is expensive too. Everyone's time is expensive. I can't tell you how many times, like my job, I don't have to do things at certain times because I do editing work. So it's like the weeks I don't have my kids, I'm working 10 to 12 hour days because I know when I have them that I don't have enough time. I do not have enough time. Mm -hmm. And I don't have like the luxury of some like 15 year job at the same place, making a certain amount of money that gives all of my family healthcare. So that's like, that's what makes it special. So I can say, no, my time, my job trumps literally everything else that happens in the family. Anyone's needs. I don't have that. And my kids know that our family only works. Like our family dynamic only works. I'm saying that like in air quotes, because of the flexibility that I have because my time isn't valued in the same way that my former husband's time is. And I think that you will see this in families everywhere. The lack of mindfulness about how society and culture has been created that amplifies and values men's work to the detriment of like the possibilities afforded to women and children, I think we're seeing that it just it doesn't make any sense as families are evolving and relationships are changing. Women don't actually need men in the same way that they needed them before, which I'm saying that as a way of they didn't have the educational resources that we have now. They didn't have the job prospects that they have now. And I've seen this in so many of my friends and in culture at large where women are becoming better and asking for more and saying, you know, like we, we need a radical change in how our society functions. We need a school system and a childcare system that supports families, how they actually exist in real life, that supports, you know, single parent households. It's so hard to support a family on one income. And we know that. And women have always worked outside of the home. It's something we don't talk about a lot. It's usually gig jobs, part-time waitressing, bartending, teaching preschool out of your house. Like It's never enough to support the family wholly, but it's always been there. And we've pretended that it hasn't been and that it doesn't matter, where that work matters and that time is expensive. And we need to start putting our money into school systems and into childcare systems that support and uphold a family for the full health of both adults, for every member of that family. And I really think adding to that, that as we're seeing women asking for more out of relationships, there was like that really weird article about how men are feeling bad for themselves because there are more single men on dating apps than ever before, <laughs> and they're not getting relationships. It's like, well, no kidding, because we want something that adds value to our life, not just another thing to deplete us. And so as women are rising all over the globe and saying, I need help, I need you to step forward and value me, and add something to my life instead of just making more demands. 
or asking me to take over work for free for free and it's not to say that like you have to be paid by your partner to do shit that's not what i'm saying but it just feels what i loved about that funny article which like as someone who does and has used dating apps like i can say <laughs> with authority that women are like they are looking for more and they are ready for more typically their marriage is ended because they're saying like they're on this trajectory of like i need more from any partnership that i'm in and can you will you come with me will you build this life with me and the male partners are like that feels like a lot of work i just like to go to my job yeah. and that's all <laughs> i want to have one thing that i do and I want you to do the other things. That's not like entirely fair or entirely accurate, but I do see it. I do see this like, it doesn't feel like enough of a payoff to get in touch with your feelings, to be vulnerable, to ask, how have I hurt you? Where can we fill in the gaps? How can I truly meet you as a partner? It's not enough of a payoff for these men to do that work, to meet us there, to continue to work harder and to build a relationship that feels equitable, that feels like a place of growth and true love and partnership. I have read this book. It's called Thrust, and it's by Lydia Yuknovich. And it's mostly about children. It's a wild, wild read. And I tore through it. I can't, I mean, it says it's a novel. It's like a little bit sci-fi. It's about the future. It's about the past. It opens with the building of the Statue of Liberty and all of the bodies of the immigrants creating the body of the Statue of Liberty and what it means to reimagine the word mother. And that theme runs through the whole, the whole book, this idea of mothering, which I remember this was years ago, but I would talk about like my mother of many genders or like the many gendered mother. Motherhood to me doesn't necessarily have to be gendered. Mothering is a verb to yeah, mother. To mother. There's not really a fathering verb that we have in our language. Yeah. To father just means to impregnate. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if if we want to talk about, you know, a symbol for this entire discussion. To father means to impregnate, to mother means a lifetime commitment of care. to life and mm -hmm. care. And right now I do, I mean, I feel this so strongly in my own body, this exhaustion, this like deep desire to have a partner who I can feel, you know, like a balance of masculine and feminine energy or just a balance of energy, of reciprocity. Yeah. yeah. And of being able to share these burdens and these individual things that we go to and to build a future with someone like I can feel it in my body and I can feel and see that exhaustion like the women of the world the women in the United States were not okay the mothers were not okay and I'd love to talk about like mental health in that regard too but I also think about what our mothers and our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers weathered for us to get to this point and in this book Lydia she has this beautiful passage that I'm going to read here. The protagonist in this book is a girl between the ages of 10 and 12. They don't really give her age. She kind of changes ages as she moves through history. But she 
tell stories in exchange for other stories that she can take back with her to share with people in different points of time. She also carries like coins and seashells and she calls herself a carrier. And she tells this story that's about, it's kind of about the origin of life or of families. And this woman who she's telling it to realizes while this girl's talking about her own like deepest wish and and it's about mothers. Before I die, I want to give everything back to mothers. Everything our mothers took from us when they couldn't understand how to exist inside the impossible contradictions. Everything that was taken from our mothers as a means of keeping the house, the country, the world in order. I would give them back their arms, their legs, return them their heads, their hair, their lips and eyes. Mothers, here are your bound and heavy hearts, stricken by the beatings they tricked you into. Mothers, I give your body back to land, your original intimacy. Most of all, I give mothers back their breasts, their wombs, their cunts, their desire. I would set us free from the word mother. May your body be yours again. May your blood belong to you again. Even to the dead mothers, may your body belong to whatever you might have become, had you not been strapped to the service of breeding. And to the blossom of every girl ever born, may that violent rush of cosmic possibility in your body, between your legs, be let loose from reproduction. May you open yourself to the cosmos, creating new constellations. May it wreck the wrong world back to life. Um, <laughs> I've heard this like 20 times because we read it every time a friend comes over, but <laughs> I'm, I'm a freak. I'm, a freak. I'm listening to it now and I'm just, I'm just like weeping because imagine what our lives could have been like had we not spent our whole lives emotional caretaking and worried about breeding and mothering and dedicating our bodies to the care of other bodies. What would be just like my thing that I would do if, if my whole life weren't dedicated to caring for others? I think that that is one of the sweetest, it almost, when I read it, I read it almost as a prayer and as an offering. And I, I think so much about the women who I came from and how their lives would have been different had they not had nine children had birth control been readily available to them. I think about the work that they did with their bodies as opposed to their minds. How brilliant these women were. I come from a line of poets, from people, from women who noticed the things around them, who loved language, who were incredibly creative and artistic, and were forced into the world of unpaid exhausting labor and what a world in a future can look like where that work of a family is equally split and shared where there's space for the domestic work which frankly i love i love cooking and caring for my family i love doing laundry but I also love creating and I love earning money and I love being part of brilliant teams. I love working with writers with wonderful ideas. I love creating things from my 
I believe it comes from my whole body too, but I didn't have to birth it. I didn't have to breastfeed it. I don't have to worry about how many times they're saying Jesus Christ in front of their grandparents. <laughs> like, I don't, it's something that's wholly mine that doesn't come from something else that can live and breathe in the world as I dictate it. What if our mothers or our grandmothers' bodies belong to them? What if they were able to receive from good and generous men from a country or a government that valued them and believed in them from like a financial system that really believed in families and really believed in the work that we do. Mm. And it's really beautiful to me. And I just, I want that for my grandmothers and I want it for me and I want it for my daughters and I want it for, I want it for everyone, but I can't, I can't do that for everyone. And that's why we have systems in place that ensure that those things happen and they're just not there. Yeah. It's a lot to think about and to process and how it shows up practically in our life is like, how do we trust that people around us will be kind and generous to us when we're giving so much? And when something comes back, are there strings attached? Can we just receive a kindness from a man without having there be a power dynamic? It's really subtle and if you ask any woman about these conversations, they will have a whole novel to say about it, a whole lifetime of experience because they know exactly what we're talking about. And so hopefully this conversation starts many more conversations and through collective conversations, maybe we can have more widespread change. Thanks, Rachel, for being here and having this really crucial conversation. Thank you for having me. Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us. See you next time on Tent Talks.